Hi, and welcome to Health Talk from Mars. It's out of this world. On today's episode, I'll be talking about the environment and how we can best protect it by switching to a plant-based diet. Okay, this is Dr. Mars here in Health Talk from Mars. It's out of this world, and I wanted to bring up a topic that is very near and dear to me. So right now, we are in the middle of the sixth mass extinction on Earth. So 200 species become lost every 24 hours, which is the most rapid extinction rate since the fifth mass extinction which was 66 million years ago with the dinosaurs. And this is all pretty much being caused by humans. And there's a wonderful book, if you want to read further into this topic. It's called The Sixth Mass Extinction by Lori Garrett. And in there, she goes through some of the items that we need to be aware of in terms of this rapid rate of species extinction. In fact, one of our species, the sharks, we slaughter about 110 million sharks a year, half of them for shark fin soup, and the other half is bykill. And so sharks have survived four mass extinctions, but currently they are slated to not make it through this mass extinction, which is an absolute tragedy. Let's take a look, a look at some of the reasons why this is happening. So one thing that we're seeing is we are having some major global climate disruption. We're seeing stronger and stronger hurricanes and storms and earthquakes. And all of these catastrophic events that we're seeing can be traced to greenhouse gases and the warming up of our atmosphere. You know, if you've been paying attention to the weather, clearly in places like Phoenix. I think Phoenix had uh, record-breaking warming this last summer. I believe they exceeded 31 consecutive days where the temperature hit at least 110. So that's not so great. What is the cause of all of these greenhouse gases and the warming of our environment? And there is one of my favorite documentaries. My favorite one's Cowspiracy. And in Cowspiracy, they go through all the different reasons why we are causing major climate disruption and loss of our resources. We've got some major concerns of how much of the resources we are currently using. So I just got back from New York, and I went to the Modern Museum of Art, and they had an exhibit there about sustainability. And one of the parts of the exhibit was about old-growth trees. And I had known that we have obviously cut down a lot of old-growth trees, but did not actually realize that over 50% of the United States in 1620 was actually covered in old growth forest. On this exhibit, they went through each century up to now, and less than 3% of the United States is now covered with old growth trees. And we have a bunch of them in Oregon here, but 
wow, that's, that's shocking. They're not just trees because these trees have certain characteristics that are critical for other species. And as I mentioned, 200 species uh, become lost every 24 hours. That, that includes insects, that includes plants, and also animals. There's a research scientist by the name of Dr. Richard Oppenlander. And Dr. Oppenlander talks about deforestation in a number of lectures. And also he's written a couple of books. One of them is called Comfortably Unaware. And the other one was Food Choice and Sustainability. Why buying local, eating less meat, and taking baby steps won't work. And that book came out about 10 years ago in 2013. And when I read that book and I saw him lecture, it just hit me that we all need to really be paying much more attention to what's going on. Isn't there something that we can do about this? And Dr. Oppenlander, you know, one of his lectures talks about the fact that there's a ticking time bomb, a nuclear bomb that's ready to go off. And we could disarm that. We know what to do. We know where it is, but we're just not really paying attention to it. So let's let's go through some of the different issues that we have. So, you know, species extinction, greenhouse gases, raging storms, climate disruption that's basically leading to these catastrophic weather events. And there are scientists that have predicted all this. So it's not really a surprise. Recently in New York, they got some crazy amount of rain, like nine inches in 24 hours, and the city was inundated. I'm afraid that's only the tip of the iceberg. Let's talk about land usage. Right now, almost half of the world's living land mass is being used for agriculture. As of November of last year, we passed 8 billion people on Earth. So 8 billion people, that's a lot of resources to use up. So the question is, how can we better use our resources and how can we better conserve our resources? And again, I think that we have the answer. So as mentioned, almost half of all the land that is being used is used for agriculture, but the vast majority of that is being used for animal agriculture. So I wanna stress animal agriculture. So not just for grazing the animals or raising them, but also for growing the food. So Dr. Silas Rao, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about him. He, he wrote a book called Carbon Yoga. And in that book, he has a little description of what's happened to our, you know, our landmass and what's happened to our different wild fauna. About 10,000 years ago, on planet Earth, there were a total of 200 million metric tons of wild animals, wild fauna. Humans made up 50,000 tons. So just a tiny little bit, I think it was about a million people 10,000 years ago. So it's like incredibly small number of people. Fast forward to 1970, so about 10,000 years later. And what do we see? Well, the wild fauna population went to less than half, so went from 200 million metric tons to 80 million metric tons, while the human population went from 50,000 to 200 million. So if you've ever seen population zero 
It's a book and it has a graph and it shows you like, wow, that is a tremendous increase in population. How are we going to sustain that? And so there was talk back in the 70s that we needed to stop reproducing so much, which, you know, it's true. So fast forward just 40 years from 1970 to 2010, the human population doubled. It went from 200 million to 400 million metric tons. Wow, that's an unbelievable growth curve. Totally unsustainable. At that rate of growth, we're going to far outuse all the resources. The wild fauna population went from 80 million down to 40 million. So they're really getting shortchanged. When we take a look at how we feed these humans, lots of humans are eating a lot of animal products, livestock. And those 400 million metric tons of humans consume yearly a billion metric tons, which I, every time I say that, I'm like, is that actually true? A billion metric tons of farm animals. And to feed those farm animals, those livestock, takes double, because normally a cow is only going to live about 11 or 12 months before it gets slaughtered. On an animal feedlot, usually is about 11 months. So they don't last very long. And they're young. Cow's going to live to 12 years old. So during their young lifespan, they eat, those of you that have teenagers and such, see how much teenagers can eat. So these are like teenage animals. So they're eating at a tremendous rate of food. And so they eat 2 billion metric tons of animal feed. And 97% of all the animals in the United States, at least, are raised on CAFOs, concentrated animal feedlots. And so, which is actually the most efficient way to make meat. But let's go through some really important numbers with regards to our land and, and what we use. What do these livestock generally eat? Well, they eat soy and corn. Those are some of the big crops that they eat. And so, what do we know about soy and corn? The vast majority, 97% of soy, is genetically modified. Hmm. That seems like that could be a problem. About 92% of corn is genetically modified. So now we're basically, by feeding these animals, the livestock, we're feeding them genetically modified foods. So you could say, we don't have to do it that way. We can raise these animals on a nice farm where they can graze and roam around. Well, it sounds great, and it sounds like that's a much more humane way of doing things not on a CAFO. But the problem with that is it takes much more land usage. So it would require at least two and a half Earths. And that's if we replaced where humans are living to actually grow the feed to feed these animals. So if everyone decided to eat like Americans. So on an average, the average American eats about 206 pounds of animal flesh per year. So that is a lot. And then when you look at what we feed them and it's genetically modified foods, and what do we know about genetically modified foods? So are we getting into the environment here? And that is genetically modified foods are usually sprayed with glyphosate. So glyphosate, better known as Roundup Ready, 
has been studied now for a number of years, and there's some really serious health concerns being made about that. So currently in the world, we spray about 4.5 billion pounds of glyphosate on our crops, mostly genetically modified crops. But more recently, in the last 10, 15 years, they've decided, well, we could also spray crops like wheat and barley because it'll kill them. So if we have to harvest very quickly, it kills the plant, and then it also acts as a desiccant. So it dries out the wheat and dries out the barley, and it's ready to be processed. So it sounds great, except for the fact that now you're leaving this residual glyphosate on the food. There's some really interesting research on what happens to our soil. Right now, our soil is being degraded tremendously. And that means that the quality of the soil that we're using is much, much less than it used to be. So I mentioned in a previous episode, podcast episode, about the fact that soil is deficient in all of these important trace elements. And these trace elements are really important for your immune system. Things like chromium and selenium and boron, important for your bones. Okay, so we know that one spraying of glyphosate over a field will kill about 50% of all the earthworms in the soil. And then we talked about the fact that we have this genetically modified crop. So we've lost a tremendous amount of biodiversity in our plants because we're just growing all of the soy and corn to feed animals. In fact, we export 55% of all of our soybean crop from the United States, which is genetically modified, to China to feed their chickens. And then we import a bunch of genetically modified soy from Brazil. Brazil is a microcosm for the rest of the world. Right now, they are cutting down the Brazilian Amazon rainforest at the rate of a football field every second. And it's just absolutely heartbreaking to watch, to see what's happening down to the Brazilian rainforest and how they're cutting it up and burning the trees and being, it's being used to graze animals and also to grow corn and soy, both of which genetically modified. So now we've talked about that we're losing all of this precious land because we just want to eat more meat and we're losing habitat. And as a result, we're having more and more species extinction and also plants and insects that we don't even know about that have some medicinal qualities that would be really useful in the treatment of cancer and heart disease and diabetes. On one hand, we're creating this environment that's causing all these cancers to happen. On the other hand, we're losing our precious plants because we want to eat meat. And so that just doesn't make any sense. Right now, it's guesstimated that we consume about 200 edible foods on the planet and that includes animals. And then I also want to talk about antibiotics. There's a wonderful book. It's called The Sixth Mass Extinction. Laurie Garrett in the book wrote about how much we use of antibiotics indiscriminately. 
and that we are creating these superbugs. So organisms that we no longer will have antibiotics to treat. And the reason for that is we are using a tremendous amount of antibiotics, usually not for the right purpose. When you use an antibiotic, you're not just treating yourself. So you need to think about the environment because once you take that antibiotic, you pee that into the toilet and that gets into the surrounding groundwater. And that's not good. That's creating more superbugs, bugs that we don't have antibiotics to treat. In the United States alone, we use 35 million pounds of antibiotics, 80% or 28 million pounds of these antibiotics are used in animal agriculture because the vast majority of animal agriculture consists of animals living in very tight quarters. If you want to really get grossed out, there's a couple documentaries called Earthlings and another one called Dominion, and they go in with drones and they film some of these animal feedlot operations. And once you see that, it's pretty difficult to continue to do what you're doing. Took a lot of guts for me to watch the whole thing of Dominion, but I did make it through that. And it was definitely a little bit shaking to see that as global climate disruption happens and there's more and more fires that are happening to our forests. We're starting to see a massive collection of heavy metals and all the stuff that humans have created as these forests and houses burn, it goes up into the atmosphere. And as it goes into the atmosphere, circulates into people. And when it circulates into people, it gets into their brains. When it gets into their brains, and it can affect various parts of the brain, like the pituitary gland, which is really critical for human reproduction. So there's a hormone that's made in the pituitary gland called luteinizing hormone. Luteinizing hormone stimulates the production of testosterone in both males and females. And so what we've been seeing, and I've only been practicing for a little over 40 years, and I've not routinely checked testosterone in males and females except for maybe the last 15 or 20 years. And one of the things that we're seeing is that the level of testosterone in males is coming down rather dramatically. And so testosterone is very important for sperm production, libido, immunity, and, and many, many other items as well. So as the testosterone gets lowered, that's one of the reasons why we are seeing less fertility in males. One study showed that one out of every four males today is now considered to be infertile. One out of every five females is considered to be infertile. And so this is a direct result of our environment and environmental pollutants. So I want to talk about loss of fresh water. This is an extremely important topic for those of you that know the Ogallala Water Aquifer in the Midwest. It's made up of about eight states from South Dakota down to the north part of Texas. And this water aquifer has taken thousands of years to generate. 
comes from under the ground. There was an article in National Geographic about seven or eight years ago talking about the problem with this Ogallala water aquifer is that it's draining at an incredible rate. So back then, seven or eight years ago, they were talking about it's down to about 8% of its original volume. And so there's debate as to how much actual water is left. So this is the water that we use to feed crops and to feed our livestock and such. So it's like when this Ogallala water aquifer runs down, it's not going to get regenerated anytime soon. So that means that we're going to have to find alternative sources of water. And that is not going to be easy. Let's talk about water usage and cows. Cows by far use the most water of any animal. And it requires about 2,500 gallons of fresh water to produce one pound of beef. And we're not even going to get into the health consequences of eating all that beef. That's another topic. But that is a lot of water, 2,500 gallons for one pound of beef. And so when you look at all the other plant sources of foods, the amount is, is so much less. And so one of the things in California that we're seeing is they've been under drought conditions for about 20 years. Jonathan Saffron Foyer wrote a book called Eating Animals. And in there, he just talks about the psychology of eating animals. And he's fully omnivore. He eats lots of meat and stuff. And then a few years later, he wrote another book, and it's called We Are the Weather. And in that book, he talks about the weather and climate disruption and why humans are causing it. And then on page 63, he's like, okay, I've avoided the word this entire book so far, but now we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about veganism, and we're going to talk about eating plants. And he made this quote, and the quote has stuck with me. He said, going plant-based foods is not going to save the planet. It's not going to save our civilization. However, if we don't do it, we're not going to survive. So by that he meant, by far the single most important thing you could do is switch to a plant-based diet. There is no question that animal agriculture uses by far the most resources of water and land and antibiotics and genetically modified foods and whatnot. And if you just went on a plant-based diet, that would fix a tremendous amount, says Jonathan Saffron Foyer. Again, we are the weather. Strongly recommend to read that book. I think it's an excellent read and has some important information. One of the things we know about our food supply is that our bees are in jeopardy of becoming extinct. And that is, again, a serious problem because a very large amount percentage-wise, I think it's 40% of our plants are pollinated by bees. So there's other insects that can also do the job, but bees are really a critical part of our, our food supply. And those of you that have been keeping up know that there's a condition called bee colony collapse. And so bee colony collapse, what is 
the cause of bee colony collapse. Well, there's a couple of movies I'm going to recommend. One is Queen of the Sun, and the other one is Silence of the Bees. And those two movies go through some interesting concepts of why the bees are no longer surviving. And one of the possibilities, major possibility, is that uh, we have a situation where we have monocultured foods, that is corn and soy, then it's genetically modified. So now we have these vast fields of genetically modified corn and soy. And when the bees go to collect pollen and such, it's not the same as wild plants. So one of the theories is that this may be one of the major causes of bee colony collapse. There's a wonderful movie I used to show my students when I was teaching called The Future of Food. And the future of food is all about genetically modified foods and what the effect of these genetically modified foods is on our population. This is a, an experiment that we are involved with, and it seems like it's really clear that we are rapidly entering into the final stages of human civilization if we don't act now and immediately. There's a new, a newer documentary called Seaspiracy that was a sequel to Cowspiracy. And in there, they talk about how our oceans are in dire need of being left alone, basically. There's a couple of documentaries. One of them's Chasing Coral. The other one is Mission Blue, which is a documentary about Sylvia Earle, an oceanographer, talks about seaweeds and dead zones in the ocean. One of the largest dead zones in the ocean is down in the Gulf of Mexico. And that's basically where Sylvia Earle grew up. And so why are there these tremendous dead zones in the ocean? Well, the reason is because of nitrogen fertilizers. And these nitrogen fertilizers are basically getting in to the Mississippi River. And again, this is, this is coming mostly from animal agriculture. So we have all of this nitrogen fertilizer to grow food, and then the animals are peeing and pooping, and that's going down the, the Mississippi and getting into the Gulf of Mexico and, and killing all of the wildlife in the, in the ocean. Oh, I mentioned about antibiotics. 80% of the antibiotics are used in animal agriculture. So all those antibiotics are going into the Gulf of Mexico and killing off the wildlife. So the best way to stop that again is not to eat any type of animal products because you're only fueling that. So those of you out there are like, well, you know, I'm just one person. I can't really do anything. Less animal products or going vegan. How's that going to work? It's not going to happen. I'm going to bring up Dr. Silas Rao now because he brings up a very important point. And so the important point was about Gandhi. So Gandhi in 1905 used to wear these very fancy wool suits. He was an attorney and he traveled extensively. And one of the things that he saw was the tyranny that unfortunately the people of India lived under, under the rule of Great Britain. How could these poor people from India possibly get free from Great Britain? So Gandhi, while he was doing his meditation, came up with a plan. And the plan was called the Kadi movement. 
He said, okay, here's what we need to do. We need to stop buying British-made clothes. And everyone was, well, really? You know, how's that? How's that going to do anything? And the official part of the movement took a few years to get started in 1905. 1918 was considered the very beginning of like, okay, we as a country are not going to buy British clothes. It took 13 years, 1931, and they bankrupted the largest industry in Great Britain, which was the Manchester textile industry. And Great Britain came groveling back to India, like, please buy our clothes. Please, we need you to buy our clothes. Like, nope, sorry, not going to happen. 17 years after that, India got its independence. And it all started with a very simple thing, like, just don't buy British clothes. So same thing, just don't eat animals. I have so many patients that I'm cajoling. I call that cajoling, you know, depending upon where they're at trying to do it for their health, but also for the health of the planet. I had a, a patient in yesterday, actually, I had a type of bone cancer, and I was explaining how the environment is really important. We need to change the environment. The reason why you got this most likely is from our environment. So if we could change our environment, maybe we can bring about some homeostasis and your body can re reverse this process. And this person was used to eating bacon and ham and various other types of processed meats and stuff. And I'm like, so it's, it's going to be a process, but everyone could do it. And I think the scary part is, is like, well, I don't know what I, if I can't eat meat, I don't know what to eat. And it's like, well, there's, as I mentioned, we only eat 200 foods in the world. There's 200,000 plants in the world that we could eat. There's untold number of mushrooms, so mushrooms are a really important source. In fact, last night I had, and there's a new product out on the market it's called Meaty, and it has just mushrooms. And one is uh, carne asada, and it's these patties. And I was shocked. Me and a friend, a colleague of mine who discovered it actually told me about it. One little patty has 17 grams of protein and 10 grams of fiber. And I'm like, Wow. You know, an egg has about seven grams of protein. People think eggs, okay, I'm going to eat lots of eggs, get my protein. Animal protein is the number one cause, or I should say the number one factor involved in cancer, heart disease, and Alzheimer's disease. So I've said everything I could say for now. I mean, I could go on on this topic for, you know, hours and hours and hours, but I urge people out there to just read up. Don't take my word for this. Do as much research as possible. We need to preserve our environment so we have the health of people and we have the health of continuing our species. So maybe we evolve to a different level. Thanks for listening today and please join me on my future episodes. Okay, thanks.